G'day there, and welcome to the rewrap for Wednesday. All the best bits for the Mike Hosking breakfast on in a sillier package. I am Glenn ZB, and this morning uh, the border testing. Um, There's just numbers, numbers, numbers that don't add up. Uh, should you have to pay more to do a useless degree? Um, meanwhile, the the fees free system is that working out? And ah. Oh, Good to know you can take your pet on the train now in Auckland. How wonderful. But before any of that, uh, the farm versus forest debate is heating up. Very glad the forestation of this country at the expense of good productive farmland finally appears to be getting the sort of attention it deserves. The trouble with the crisis is it takes your eye off all other sorts of balls and various issues would have had far greater scrutiny if we hadn't had a virus to deal with. Planting trees to allow us to meet our Paris Accord deal is potentially a catastrophic mistake that is unfolding before our eyes. Firstly... Because our calling card to the world is not our climate credentials, it's the food we sell. And for that, you need productive land. Under the ETS changes, the price of carbon lifts. As it lifts, it becomes more attractive to buy land to plant trees. Planting trees is easy. People always take the easy path. And what makes this worse is many who invest in these trees have no intention of ever harvesting them. They're simply there to clip the ticket. The answer is simple, actually, limit conversion. We limit all sorts of things these days. Foreigners can't buy certain houses. Some companies can't buy other companies. Some companies can't take over other companies. There are rules everywhere. Whether they make sense is a matter for another day, but the unfettered conversion of farmland to forest land can easily be controlled. And what's interesting is whether those who are more obsessed with the climate than our future really want to, and this is where James Shaw comes in. Seems a strange thing that a bright bloke doesn't see all of this, unless, of course, he does see it and he doesn't really care. He's happy to have the trees, not the sheep. Also unusual that someone of the left wouldn't understand if not sympathise with the community aspects of all of this. The beef and lamb numbers are stark. Money from farms outweighs money from trees, whether you harvest them or not. If you don't, the money from farms far outweighs trees. It outweighs forestry on jobs, on income, on community spending. The farmers have to play their part too. Of course, no point bemoaning the end of an era if you flick the farm off to pocket the profit. And I'm surprised National, as a party of the farmer, haven't been working this for months. By the time you look at this government's record with rural communities generally, there are votes plenty, not to mention a way of life to save. Isn't that what they're in politics for, for goodness sake? As for the trees, it's relatively simple. You don't solve one problem by creating another. Yeah, it's a pretty good point, isn't it? Let's just stop doing stuff that pollutes the, the environment in the first place and then you don't have to worry about offsetting anything. I bet the government wishes they could offset a few of these um, uh, quarantine numbers because uh, now that we're finding out just how many people have been let out without being tested, uh, it seems pretty crazy. People who had left managed isolation between the 9th and the 16th of June, they know not where they are, many of them. They probably never will. They will never come up with this number. Why is this? Because on this program a week ago we started, it's hard to believe it's a week and they still haven't got the numbers. When I asked Ashley Bloomfield how many people got released that weren't tested. I do not know that number. No, indeed not. So I followed that up. He was going to go get the numbers, but by Monday of this week, we hadn't got the numbers. Seemed remarkable. He was on on Thursday, so we had all day Thursday, all day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. So I asked Adun on Monday. The Ministry of Health are working through that, and I'll leave that to them to provide them the information. Uh, of course, because she wouldn't want to take any responsibility for that at all. At, at all. So then we didn't get the number on Monday, we didn't get it on Tuesday, uh, so I asked Woods. I don't have those numbers. She doesn't have those numbers either, but she's in charge of all of this, but she still doesn't have the numbers. That was yesterday. Then also yesterday, Bloomfield fronts up yet again and has asked the obvious question, does he have the numbers? I still can't tell you that number. He doesn't have the numbers either. So the 2,159 people, who would know where they are and whether they ever got tested? But we do have this morning a clue. 
And that is the second set of numbers, the number of people who were let out of quarantine on compassionate leave. Now, we know there were 55 of those. Of those 55, in essence, none of them were tested. Technically, four were, but four were tested as they left. So you didn't know whether they were negative or not. So how many people did we know were negative as they left quarantine? Answer, none. None. Zero. So you can probably conclude that the 2,159 people, and then you get to the number of people who have arrived in the country between May 10 and June 16, there are 7,711. How many people do you reckon them have been tested or not? See what a botch up this is, what a shambles it is? Yeah, you don't have to have some kind of fancy-pantsy university degree uh, to work that one out. And in fact, maybe uh, you shouldn't be trying to get a fancy-pantsy university degree. Maybe you should be trying to get one that's actually going to lead directly to a job um, or fill a space uh, where it's needed. This is what they're trying to do in Australia, apparently. If you've got a useless degree or you're going for a useless degree, you're going to have to pay more. A lot of pushback too, I'll tell you this, from the intelligentsia in Australia. Over then you approach to university degrees. In very simple terms, what's happening? If it's study that the country needs, you'll be directed towards it with an incentive on costs. In other words, it'll be cheaper. If it isn't, you'll pay through the nose. And the Arts Degree Brigade, let me tell you, they're aghast, aghast at the snobbishness, not to mention the social engineering or what they claim is the social engineering. Their view of university is one of academic freedom, of a chance to discover yourself, all of which, and they forget this or choose to forget this, is still available to you. Of course, there is nothing stopping anyone studying anything. All that's changed is how the poor old taxpayer and how much the poor old taxpayer stumps up for it. We also forget this side of the Tasman that no matter what students end up paying, they never pay the full amount of the actual study or indeed anywhere near it. I remind our kids of this all the time as they bemoan their debt and their student loans. Ironically, uh, because we haven't adopted the Australian approach yet, uh, their move is potentially seen as an opportunity for our universities, people travelling over here to take advantage of our cheaper courses. You see, a country, especially if that country is picking up the tab, has every right to do their best to upskill their population towards the areas of most use. The same way you as an individual are entitled to pursue whatever it is you want to pursue, but that might come at a greater cost. It's a trade-off. How badly do you want it? What we do know, and research out just last week showed this up, is that the cheaper you make it, in our case it's free of course, foolishly, uh, but the cheaper you make it, the more you attract people that don't actually know what they're doing, don't actually want to be there necessarily at all, and don't ultimately thrive. They simply give it a go. And why wouldn't they? It's costing them nothing. It's just costing the rest of us for you to dabble. For years, and Australia has at last recognised this, we produce graduates who may or may not have anything to contribute to the economy. Graduates who compete in areas with little work or areas with an overflow of labour. What's the point? Education is an investment on everyone's part, on the individuals for careers and opportunity and personal advancement, on the states for a source of needed skill and labour. Matching the two up should never have been the crapshoot that it is. Yeah, it's a hard one. Um, uh, Monster number one, she's doing classical music, uh, performance music. And I think a lot of people would ask, uh, argue that that's not uh, particularly useful for the wider society. But then she's learning how to teach kids to play music. She's actually earning money doing that. Um, will continue to earn money doing that at the moment. That's how she's paying for her degree, is by teaching kids how to play. Maybe we shouldn't teach kids how to play music, because that, that's probably useless as well. See, it's a slippery slope we're trying to climb up there. Um, she, uh, 
got the first year free, of course. Just quickly, they call it sneaky. Nationals calling it sneaky, the shifting of the goalposts. So this is the fees-free. The performance measure originally, 18 and 19, 2018, 2019, the percentage increase in the first-time domestic learners. Now there's bums on seats. How many new students went from high school to tertiary training because it was free? That was their measure. But in the budget this year, they've just discovered that's been scrapped. The performance measure now is average fees-free payment per learner for the first year of education. So National, this is Shane Retty, he's claiming it's a further indictment of the fees-free policy being a failure. And of course the numbers never worked. Remember they didn't have any increase in numbers and so Hipkins was rolled out to say, well it was going to fall dramatically but we stopped it falling even further. That was their argument at the time. I don't really understand what's going on there. What, what that's a, the measuring criteria. I don't... Anyway, I mean ideally, you know, it should be free. But it shouldn't be an excuse to put off real life of three or four or five years. That's for sure. Um, you know, if you've got the right qualification, I guess you could end up working for the council and justifying putting pets on trains. I'd rather have water than a pet on a train, but... This is all the disincentive I needed to never, ever use public transport, So you've got to get ever. on public transport and have animals. Do you know this morning, I swear to God, hand on heart... I got thrown off the motorway this morning because, and I don't mind getting thrown off the motorway on the way to work because I argue if you're going to do work and it's going to inconvenience people, inconvenience people driving at 2.33 o'clock in the morning. So I don't mind getting thrown off the motorway at 2.33 o'clock in the morning. But this morning, I swear to God, upon being thrown off the motorway because of the roadworks, I then went the route that I would normally go on this particular off-ramp to a point where there were so many roadworks that the one road I normally go down to get through town out the other side and to work was suddenly closed as well. And there were so many roadworks, so many trucks, so many cones, so much digging, so many cycleways, so many bus lanes, so much crap going on. I literally, for a moment there, thought, I have no idea how to get to work. I cannot think of a road from where I am now, short of going basically to Hamilton, that I can get to work. I literally had no idea how I could get to work as I stood there facing a whole bunch of trucks blocking what I thought was the singular route left to my office. Did you consider just parking up and I, I thought, making a break for it, sort of 21 block this. style? I'm 55, I don't need to work, bugger this. And then Katie rings and goes, how do we get to work? And I thought, yeah, well, so anyway, we got there in the end, but it might not be going on much longer. Um, yeah, that was all off the back of an interview uh, with a very nice lady from the council explaining how... Uh, pets are allowed on trains now and buses will be next. Um, and that's why you end up ranting about the roads, of course. But the the point is, uh, she was just so delighted that, you know, the, the, the trial had been successful and that, you know, it could now be implemented on all trains everywhere. Uh, and not for one moment uh, realising how stupid that was and that she should be doing something more useful, like getting the water back on. Or the road's working properly. Anyway, I'm Glenn ZB. Sorry if I seem a bit down today. It's, it's the trouble when so much stuff doesn't make sense. And mind you, it's not likely to do that again tomorrow either. I'll try and lift my game. I'll see you then. <laughs>